0: You are listening to the Ivy Podcast. Learn from the thought leaders in areas of strategy, innovation, negotiation, and all things leadership. We interview the Ivy League, Fortune 100, and top startups. Now, here's your host, John Karsibayev. Hi, I'm Gagan Gulati. I'm the Chief Product Officer at Behavox. Behavox is an end-to-end data operating company.
1: Gagan, thank you so much for finding time to be with us today on the Avi Podcast. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Uh, where, you know, what are your main interests, the passions, and what did you do before joining Behavox?
0: Absolutely. So I joined Behavox two months ago as a Chief Product Officer. Uh, a little bit of background here, and then I'll move to the you know what did I do before that before coming to Behavox. As a chief product officer, I have five subgroups who report to me. Uh, One is product management, which is quite typical. Um, You know, that's uh, the role. Uh, The second one is product engineering. So the engineering team is divided into two parts at Behavox, uh, the platform engineering team and the product engineering team. The platform engineering team focuses on everything platform, from microservices point of view, to data storage um, and data processing, uh, providing the platform for machine learning teams um, and providing the platform for the product teams to go build products on top of that. Um, And the product engineering team, of course, builds products on top of that. So that's number two. Number three is uh, around UX. So all our product design, product research team, that reports to me. Uh, Number four, uh, is documentation, which is kind of a given. Uh, enterprise products, uh, like the like the likes of Behavox need to have strong documentation in place. And uh, fifth, uh, by no means least, is our um, technical partnerships and strategic alliances and competitive analysis team. So that's a small team that focuses on all, th- all five of those. I joined this company two months ago. Um, And I love it so far, the customers love the products that we build at Behavox. Uh, uh, This is very clear from the big names from SoftBank to Jefferies Bank, to uh, Citadel Securities, to Mitsubishi, to name it, right? Um, But before I arrived uh, at Behavox uh, to work uh, even deeper on the data operating system as such, uh, and build products on top of the data operating system, I spent almost 16 years at Microsoft. Um, My journey, at Microsoft was uh, quite simple and funny at the same time. I started in Windows. So I did Windows Vista, I did Windows 7, I did some of Windows 8. And when I was in Windows, I was an engineer and became engineering manager over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And here, my focus was um, mostly on deployment and management. Um, At the end of six years, I figured out that I found all ways to deploy Windows on a box and I gave up and then I moved on. Um, When I moved on from there, I joined a startup team within Microsoft called the Healthcare Group, um, which and the product was called Amalga. This primarily focused on uh, a private cloud for uh, health institutions to do better management, essentially, with the data that they have. It kind of set the Mm -hmm. base for me for everything data. Um, And then from there on, for the last nine or 10 years, I've been in Azure. Uh, which was also a startup back then. And I focused on data security, um, starting with uh, sensitivity of data, um, labeling the sensitive data, encrypting sensitive data, DLP uh, loss prevention, like saving you from losing your data. Um, an example of that would be if I started emailing you sensitive content, John, um, mm. right from my behavior.com account, that's not a good thing. And I could be doing it as a mistake, so stopping you is super important. Uh, stopping me from is super important from having letting this happen. Um, moving on, I focused on data compliance, um, governance, and uh, breach prevention and detection. Which is kind of the rage of the day today. Uh, we see data breaches all the time. Uh-huh. So all of this was more from a product point of view. Which is I was building products that helped companies do better data protection, data governance, data compliance, breach notification detection, all the stuff. So those were my last ten years. I mean I worked in a bunch of other companies before this. I worked at Oracle. I worked at BEA Systems that built the worst, best WebLogic server back in the days, and Oracle bought them. I worked in. Uh, I worked in. Um, as a scientist for a couple of years as well. I'm not going to bore you with all of that. But yeah, the last uh, but the last little bit has all been in Microsoft a uh, pretty long time, and then now Behavox.
1: Okay, well, that's quite a journey you went through. And just curious from the standpoint of kind of the culture shift going from Microsoft, which is, you know, one of the largest organizations, very corporate, and joining Behavox. So, you know, relatively unknown, uh in small startup that's growing very fast what yeah. has been that transition period so far for you? you 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 know you've been there a couple of months and is that what kind of what you expected just tell us a little bit more about that experience yeah yeah
0: so so i'll tell you two things that depends on where you are and i'll answer your question as i go um, depends on where you are at microsoft in some way microsoft is just mothership right and uh, you could be in a big group working with a on a huge product, um, or you could end up being in a small group. Uh, and it looks like a well-funded startup. Um, mm-hmm. So in Windows, I was that big group guy, right? Uh, but when I joined this uh, small healthcare group in the company, and when even in Azure, as I built several products, I was more on the uh, starting up new projects, starting up new products, but well-funded startups. And you didn't have as much fear of losing, right? Because if you lost and the product didn't get through, no problem, you'll just move to a different product. Yes. Right? you're not losing a job as such. Um, however, having said that, it's like, it's still saying that you are sitting on a Titanic, right? Uh, that there is, there are various rooms and you could be trying to build your startup, but you know that you're sitting on this massive stable engine and there are processes in place. There are, um, you know, you can't fall down off uh, of Titanic. It's just super hard to do, to fall down and, and fall into the ocean. It's not going to happen More 99.999% of the times. Um, so you feel like you're on a very stable ship. You may be running really fast on a treadmill on Titanic, but it is Titanic. The goodness of that is you are in a very stable environment, right? You're working very, very hard, right? You're on a treadmill in a room in on Titanic. So you're working very, very hard and you're helping the company move forward at a rapid Mm -hmm. pace. Uh, the good thing about that is that while you're working in a stable company and you may feel that the company is not moving fast enough because Mm -hmm. it's a big company. The fact is that Titanic used to or any big ship you it does run at a massive speed so the water it displaces on at any given time is just great right and you see that in revenue results you see that otherwise which is everybody's working hard, hard on the ship but the ship is a stable ship with processes in place. Mm-hmm. I will compare that with Behavox and, and any star for that matter Behavox I will I will talk about it a little bit more uh, but Behavox as, as a motorboat right? It's a big, decent sized motorboat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company has actually decent revenue, right? The company actually has a decent set of infrastructure in place and decent set of processes in place, but it's still a motorboat. Mm-hmm. So the thrill definitely exists, right? When you get out on, motorboat, uh, on water, you know you are in thrill, but you also know you're generally safe, mm-hmm. right? In the sense that, you know, you're getting in the water, there are enough precautions, there is enough steel, um, on the ship, right, on the on the little motorboat, that you're not going to fall out of it <laughs> if you don't if you don't go crazy, right? Uh, but it's also not like a a, a scooter, water scooter, where there are 50% chances you'll fall down before you know. So uh, so Behavox has been to me like that motorboat. It displaces water, mm-hmm. not on uh, the impact is is great, not as much as you would expect from a big Titanic. Um, yeah. So, but you can, but you know that you are driving on a motorboat and this motorboat will only get bigger and become a yacht one day. And once it becomes a yacht, it will become, go become a ship. And one day it'll become a Titanic, right? So you are basically building the motorboat, making it go bigger and bigger, but the thrill of being at a company like um, BehaveWorks helps. It's also not just to kind of finish the point, it's also not, as I said, it's not a water scooter right? And that's an important analogy, which is if you are in a company, which is 5%, 10% strong as a startup, you are literally, you don't know what your next, where your next paycheck is going to come from. You don't know when you're going to run out of money. So I, so the behavior box is right there as a motorboat, you know, it has a clear future, essentially.
1: That's a great analogy. I love that. And, uh, you know, sounds like at least it didn't feel like you were joining uh, a little uh, rubber, self-inflated self, yeah, self rubber inflated, uh, boat. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I can definitely relate because I come from a very similar background going from the Fortune 500 uh, and joining a smaller organization like the one that I'm currently with, ProSource IT. But, it, you know, I love the analogy going from, you know, the big Titanic to the motorboat where you still, you know, there is the safety net, there is, you know, infrastructure in place. But it's small enough for you to, you know, move faster, uh, make your own decisions to kind of develop your strategy and implement it. So that's exciting. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the topics that I'm very passionate about is, you know, build building and fostering a culture of innovation. Um, it's, you know, at Harvard, we had this great professor who who really, you know, focused on the the whole theme of building almost a culture of experimentation, which I really, really enjoyed. And he, we had a lot of case studies on companies like Booking.com and Priceline They go through a lot of these great experiments, innovation you know, hubs internally. Curious to get your take on that. How, how do you go about building that culture of innovation, you know, at least with the team that you run right now? I know it's a very loaded question and we could yeah. probably spend the whole episode talking about it, but just some tidbits in terms of like quick recommendations, quick wins that allow you to do that.
0: Yeah, a couple I will make a couple of points. And uh, as I said, it is a big topic. I, I think to me, it all starts with uh, hiring, hiring smart people. Um, right. And 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 so you start you hire really smart people. And then you ask them to figure out what should be the next strategy for us? And how should we know it? Right? So that's number one. Uh, there's a famous saying, I think, um, uh, that was made some time ago, uh, by Steve Jobs as well, who basically said, hire smart people, put them in a room, and they'll figure out you know what you should be doing. You shouldn't be telling them what to do. And I actually follow that um, very rigorously. And I feel that uh, this is where I must hire people who are smarter than me, and those smart people should hire people who are smarter than them. And if we can build that, um, if we can build that pipeline the innovation will automatically come because smart minds will come together and basically tell us what to do by connecting with customers, by understanding what their pain points are, by understand, by innovating and out innovating in some sense, um, right? So I feel like um, that to me is number one, right? Which is hiring good. Uh, so from a center, from a culture of innovation, I think this is where you always have to find the right balance between what our customers demand of us, right? And where sh- what our strategy should be, right? And from a strategy point of view, you have to leave enough room for innovation, experimentation, and we and so that these uh, these uh, and if you work on these innovations and incubations, as I call them, typically, and experimentations, it's okay if they failed, and we have to move on from there, right? Uh, so there should be no fear. For example, there should be no fear of failing. Mm-hmm. I think that is the second big thing, which is. Uh, you can you, you can talk about innovation, experimentation, and um, incubation. We have to build a culture where uh, failure is o- failing on, del- um, not failing on delivering on the incubation, but failure for an incubation to become a full-fledged product uh, in the hands of customers is okay. Mm-hmm. Because either the product market fit didn't exist, or the timing didn't out- work out very well, or the amount of um, amount of uh, energy that needs to go behind to make it a full product and innovating uh, innovation idea is just too way beyond what we can afford at any point in time. Mm-hmm. Right. So, to so, you know, to innovate, we need to, so we need to find smart people. We need to put them on, uh, we need to get them to incubate these ideas that can one day become the big products right. and clearly ensure that from a commitment and OKR point of view that Success equals completion of the incubation. Success doesn't mean converting the incubation into a full fledged product because there are so many meta factors that can come in that can stop that incubation from going into a big product. Mm-hmm. Um, so, till we can clarify that, um, life will be easy because, you know, and when, when all of the, the fact is, every day when, when our, you know, our product managers, our engineers, our support teams, uh, our account managers talk to customers, there will always be these ideas back of the hand, which what if we built a product like this? What if we made these changes? What if we did X? What if we did Y? And you have, we have to make sure that these what-ifs come into fruition, right? In the form of a document, in the form of uh, uh, an incubating idea, in form of code, and there should be freedom to do so. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if those didn't materialize in the big picture, um, but, and those won't be considered failures. Uh, there will be continuous successes that you completed them. So that, that lack of fear and, being, and that fearlessness is key in my head to, to allow the, the, the team, the company to go innovate um, mm-hmm. in the future.
1: Right, absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you on the whole aspect of you know, failure. And it's, it's within the lines of what you were talking about, empowering your, your teams to, to make the decisions, to not wait for somebody to sign off on that. And if you build that, that environment where if failure, so to say, is actually treated as an opportunity to improve and learn versus, oh, my God, you know, something went wrong. What do we do now? That, I mean, that, that's inevitable. Things will happen. Things will go wrong. But actually having that mentality that you almost greet that and like, oh, okay, here's the problem. You know, how do we fix this and yeah. learn from that? I think that's within the lines. And, you know, I love, I love those examples. So definitely thank you for, that, for those recommendations. Definitely. Um, when it comes to kind of, you know you as you as a chief chief product officer, obviously you know you always see a lot of different groups. Uh, but at the end of the day is developing a a product that delivers value, a product that' that you know people will use to either make their lives easier, make their operations easier, I'm curious to get your take on what are some of the biggest challenges for, you know, when bringing a product to life? Um, What are the kind of the main roadblocks that or the misconceptions that you overcome as kind of the head of the product? Um, So just curious to get your perspective on that.
0: Yeah, no, this is a (laughs) very good point. The typical typical problem I have always uh, tried to avoid, uh, basically try to, uh, uh, or let me say the the, the philosophy I have always tried to drive is, um, is a very simple word, which is customer. Um, knowing your customer and understanding your customer and having hard data about what your customers want from us is way more important than any other opinion from anybody. Mm-hmm. The typical, typically what happens is um, that most teams stall or build the not the right product, which is you know, not great product market fit, um, and therefore, don't see usage, and therefore, don't don't see the reven- revenue growing over a period of time, is because they either uh, miss the personas for what they were building the product, miss the miss the problems that the personas are having,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and they miss that, um, or in general, um, never could align themselves behind, um, um, you know, that the, the uh, uh, behind the problems that the customers are facing. Mm-hmm. Right. End of the day. Um, you could build the most beautiful product. But if the persona that's gonna use your product is not excited about what they are seeing because it is not useful for them on a day-to-day basis, and it's so true in the enterprise world, right? This is what I've done over the last many years, right? Which is we're building products to help our customers be more productive, Mm -hmm. whatever they do, whether it's a compliance officer or a security officer, or it's an IT guy, it doesn't matter. But we're asking that, we're hoping that they will use our product and become more productive and therefore focus on bigger, better things. So knowing what the problems are and building a product that will help our personas, our customers, our users be more productive is job number one. And frankly, this is where um, a lot of us fail actually as well yeah. because we have preconceived notions, we have preconceived ideas uh, or opinions about what that productivity would look like for this person and we do not um, go and uh, design uh, or, and plan enough and we don't discover enough um, in advance. and we focus on execution rather than, uh specking out what we need, designing what we need, getting the feedback from the customers. This is exactly what the customers need. And then putting that back into the product ideas. So, so that loop that the, idea, the cre- understanding our customers uh, needs, uh, creating, um, 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 creating the, the, the right product ideas, going back to the customers and asking them if this will help, taking that feedback continuing to refine the product ideas creating um, proof of concept again feedback loop creating deploying a pilot in a customer's place again feedback loop and you continue to do that till the project is product is matured enough that our customers will will go and deploy it in their environment and actually get the value out of it
1: right.
0: uh, and if you don't beat that feedback loop it's not worth it
1: Right. 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 Absolutely. And a lot of the points that you're making is uh, they resonate so well with me because there's an article that that I, I probably read at least once a month. It's by uh, Stuart Butterfield. He's uh, I think I said his last name right. Uh, he's the founder of Slack and yeah. the famous medium post that he posted that something around we don't sell uh, saddles here where that don't sell don't sell a saddle sell the kind of the horseback riding uh you know culture or you know almost that experience yeah and if you focus on that instead of the actual product because i agree you know nobody cares about your product nobody cares about the killer features you know probably you know our even our parents don't even care but how is that gonna make your life easier what's in it for them Uh, what are the benefits? I think that's exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, coming from, you know, you, you having the, all that experience in product before, I think that, you know, that makes perfect sense. What, um, just to switch gears a little bit, what are the different trends or ideas that really excite you or something that you you observe, that you research lately that you would love to either invest in, or you would love to either you know perhaps implement in your organization. Just curious, what's on, what's on Gagan's uh, bookmarks uh, bar as far as the saved kind of the articles and the URLs that you you observe?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point, and um, and it's actually what what has driven me driven me to come to this company uh, at Behavox. I mean, I um, I've been in the data space for ten years now, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there have been a lot of articles that came out in 2010, 2012, 2014, 2015, which said data is a new oil, right? Oh, and we said all about data. Generating insights from data is just job number one. It's going to change the world. Apply AI, apply better machine learning, apply, right? You can read there are there are dozens and dozens and, and hundreds and hundreds of articles that talk about the importance of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, to an organization and how, if you don't, if you're not data-driven, then, you know, then you will, uh, then, you know, you'll you, you lose it to your customers, right? In the, in the uh, sorry, in, in, to the competitors, right? You'll not be competitive anymore. Um, all of that is true. I do not uh, disagree at all. Uh, that's why you see great data analytics companies out there. That's why you see great uh, or companies like Tableau, uh, like, um, you know, Power BI coming in from Microsoft coming in and saying, we will help you visualize this data, mm-hmm. right? That's why you see this, uh, this upsurge of the data science discipline as such, right? Which helps you make sense out of all of the data because data must must convert itself into information. So you can use this information to generate the right insights to and you use the insights to build the right actions, mm-hmm. right? And that entire loop has to work. Now, in some discipline, in some industries, it, it, this has made its way sooner than it like uh, from a customer experience industry, uh, sometimes in, even in support industry, sometimes even in um, customer acquisition, CRM industries, you'll see a massive amount of innovation happening, mm-hmm. right, in this field. Uh, I'm not saying there's a lot of perfection in there, but it's actually definitely on the rise big time. Um, so far, there's been a lot more focus on visualization of data and generating insights after we have visualized data. Right. Um, what, I, what my experience had been uh, was that um, in the field of security and compliance, Right, uh, which is uh, security and compliance as as is as is 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 growing as a discipline as a as an industry like crazy today. Right. and the reason behind that is that the world is becoming more digital than ever before. Mm-hmm. Right, the idea of physical security still exists, but the idea of digital security and digital compliance is going through the roof. And what has happened over a period of time is that privacy has also come in with GDPR and CCPA and other set sort of rules. Right, and put that all together, the compliance word and the security word. Um, is just becoming way more, way more um, important to uh, from a customer point of view, right? Mm-hmm. From an organization point of view, and and the thing that has hasn't happened, and the reason why I am at Behavox, is that we haven't really, as an industry, done enough to deploy our wherewithal together uh, to solve the tough problems when it comes to compliance. Now, this is about. Um, in my head, this is about, um, you know, finding a needle in the haystack, for example, when it comes to uh, finding out who are the most, um, who are my employees who are uh, who are not conducting themselves well in an organization, mm-hmm. right? Like today, we're all on Zoom and, uh, and Slack and Teams on a daily basis. The problem that we all face today is that we are more remote than ever before. And therefore, if you, your two employees in there who are chatting, who are emailing each other, who are slacking each other, who are talking on Teams, and there is, um, uh, there is bullying going on, there is uh, racial discrimination going on, uh, sexual abuse happening, sexism happening, uh, could be any of those, right? It is becoming harder and harder for companies to actually find out those cases, not from any other bad reason. I think ethics and corporate governance and compliance basically are becoming paramount. Mm-hmm. And it's now more than ever that these, some of these, uh, some of these, um, uh, these uh, things are becoming important. I mean, you already know what's happening with uh, Black like Matter movement. Uh, and all of these are great signs for us as a, as a culture uh, and uh, as, as a civilization, but the implementation of that uh, in corporate world is lacking today, mm-hmm. um, right? We talk about machine learning and there's absolutely great work happening in machine learning. On the other side, we talk about collecting data And that's fantastic. Of course, we all want to collect data. Mm But how do you put that machine learning and NLP system to use against this data? Um, We are actually at a starting point. We are not very far. And it's not easy either because you're talking about terabytes and terabytes of data. And you're trying to basically find out who did what wrong. Right. Or so that's one angle like misconduct, miscompliant. Right. Right. And the other angle is how do I use this data to actually make my culture better? Right? How do I? So one is finding the bad guys. I think that's the easy way to put it. The other one is how do I make my my company's life even better now that everybody's remote and in COVID world. Right? Right. Um, how do I know that we are not being overworked? How do I know that work balance is being managed well? How do I know that? Um, um, uh, how do how do I know that uh, the uh, my as a team we are functioning better today than we were before? Right. And so it's about keeping the company's culture intact on what the principles you had to put in place in the physical world. Now you have to put it in place in the digital world, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's where that's where we're going to see because the world has changed to a hybrid mode forever, right? Um, it's it's just a given, right? Working remote is not going to be seen as a bad thing anymore, like because everybody has done it now once.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um, right? so, so I think that's where my head is. That's why I am here in this company because I, I saw that. I saw that uh, the, the need for coming up with the right set of solutions that put data mm-hmm. and the world of machine learning, NLP and artificial intelligence together. When I say data, I mean text, I mean voice, I mean video, like put all of that together. Well, and you have to gel them well and solve, a, solve interesting problems. And I believe one of the place where, places where the interesting problems will be sol- solved is in the compliance, ethics, um, corporate governance world. Where the there is not enough monitoring and there is not enough there not enough or innovation out there that's happening.
1: Right, absolutely. At the end of the day, you know, as they say, data never lies, um, and it's like you've mentioned, especially in compliance and uh, you know the ethics and the whole regulatory space. There's so much data out there, but it's just not you know utilized to the you know with the right intent or with the right purpose and you know gathering that data and you know visualizing in the right way i think is just different examples of how that could be one of the you know extremely you know as they say sexy trends in this space so definitely i uh, could relate on that with you to to shift the topic a little bit as we close out the you know the episode can you I want to talk a little bit about the passion of mine is you know hiring, onboarding, and really finding the you know the best talent. Yes. Can you give us a glimpse of into an interview with Gagan? What does it look like? Uh, do you keep uh, do you you get creative? Uh, do you take them on long walks or whatever long Zoom meetings? Um, and. I, w- I want to, you, you know, as much as you can just share what, what does that experience look like and what do you look for in some of the responses when you, when you talk to people, especially these days through, you know, zoom and video calls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely harder now than it was before. I can tell you that uh, I look for three things, especially in product management uh, you know, areas and also actually in general, I should say one is a raw horsepower uh, IQ, right? Your intelligence quotient. Um, that is important. Um, you know, you're working in the high tech industry, like the one uh, we are in, right? And yeah, I'm in. And, uh, you know, the intellectual horsepower is important um, so that, you know, as I said, you know, you always hire people who are smarter than you. And intellectual horsepower is a key part of that overall equation. So you need to find people who are just intellectually sound, right? That's to me is super important um, because you want to have great conversations. You want to strategize together. You want to build things together. And you can do that in a much better fashion when you have a group of you know, intelligent people sitting together. that's one. The second most important thing for me is EQ, uh, which a lot of us dismiss sometimes, um, which is the emotional quotient, right? Which is this idea that if you are a smart group of uh, smart we are a group of smart people, then you must have the right emotional quotient to know how to work together mm-hmm. as a group, right? To understand the dynamics of the team. To understand uh, that that some, some people, um, some colleagues of yours would be introverts, some would be extroverts. How do you take all of us together further? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the EQ part. So I look for the right EQ from, for, from the candidates. Um, and the third thing is their motivation and passion for what they are trying to bring along. And uh, that is e- equally or probably more important than the first two, but I think it is where um, if I'm interviewing a, a, a candidate for a for a senior position, I would definitely want to ensure that they have researched uh, about Behavox, for example, about <laughs> me. Um, they, they have questions ready that they want to ask to find out um, whether they are good fit uh, with us, whether we are a company as a company, a good fit for them, right? right? Um, they would want to know how, what's our culture. They would want to know what's our leadership style. They will want to know um, what's our work-life balance they would want to understand am I getting it the right am I getting into the right thing right so that to me is the third one which is motivation and passion which will typically show up with from the questions that the other person may ask of you and um, so yeah so that's the third thing I will definitely do that And my interviews typically go half and half like or maybe say 60 40 where I 60 percent of the time I am asking mm-hmm. and the remaining 40 percent of the time I expect the other person to ask me questions, essentially, Mm -hmm. and and find out about the company, about the organization, about the team, about the culture.
1: Very cool. Yeah. And I love that you make it interactive, that it's not, you know, just you interviewing the candidate. It's a two-way street. That you provide them with an opportunity to, you know, gain an insight through a very short conversation. So hopefully, get some kind of an idea of what they're getting into. So that's pretty cool. So you know, for our listeners, there you go. If you're gonna be interviewing with Gaga, you'll have at least some type of an insight, uh, what to expect. Um, but in all seriousness, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing some of these, you know, recommendations in terms of what to look for and what's important to you as an executive, um, Gaga. Last but not least what are you currently reading or is there, what is one book that you always recommend to others and why is that? Oh, that's
0: a tough one. Um, the one book that I read almost once in a year, or uh, almost every couple of years, as I change jobs, or you know, or change, or I get promote. I got promoted multiple times at my previous company at Microsoft, or I moved teams within within the company. I mean, I was there for 16 years, so you can mm-hmm. imagine I didn't change my jobs too much. Um, but uh, the book that I read uh, as I was joining Behavebox uh, was um, uh, my one of my favorite authors, uh, Marshall uh, Goldsmith, and his book of uh, What Got You Here Won't Take You There. Won't mm-hmm. get you. There, sorry. Uh, it's a very interesting book. I don't know if you've read it, Jan, but it's a book which basically kind of takes examples of, um, of uh, what would it take to succeed? And the idea there being that don't be rigid, don't have a rigid mindset. You may have may have a formula that made you succeed in your current job mm-hmm. and you got may got promoted because of that or your company did really well. But then when you reach the different level, next level, different role, right? Uh, it may not, the same formula may not work for you. And the book kind of walks through the practical examples of, um, of mistakes that you can make. So I recommend this book to uh, everyone who wo- has worked for me, who has got you know, who promoted over the years with more responsibilities, with better roles, like you were an individual contributor, you became a lead uh, leader, and uh, manager. Or if you change companies, you joined my company, right? Wherever, wherever it was, my group. I would typically suggest folks to read that book so that's one of the books that I finished up um, as I was joining Behavox. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I won't bore you with all the books that I've read after coming to Behavox. I've read two, but they're also very financial oriented. Um, uh, that I uh, that yeah, I mean, I, right now I'm I'm, I'm just learning uh, because it's uh, because Behavox is uh, uh, is a very. Is, is big on data and AIML, but it's primarily the customer base is finance, financial customers. Uh-huh. So we are very focused on on that. So coming here, uh, I'm learning through books as the best way to learn around the various terms that are used around insider trading or otherwise. So oh, yeah. those have been really, really good, really, really good um, eye-opening uh,
1: books. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exciting. And thank you for sharing. And for our listeners, we'll make the titles of these books available in the episode notes gagan i know you're very busy you got to go save the world from all of the compliance and fraud uh really appreciate you taking the time and talk to us today you know it was very short conversation but packed with a lot of really cool insights i personally learned quite a bit definitely look forward to staying in touch with you and thanks so much for your time
0: oh absolutely thank you so much john this was a very interesting conversation thank you
1: Thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify
0: and iTunes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes.